0: Well, I hope all of you are doing well today, and I thank God for the opportunity to be with you by this means. And I thank God for your vision and the work of your church, and I know that God is going to continue to bless you uh, in your, mi- your ministry of missions, your ministry of evangelism, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The passage in Isaiah 54, which is the theme Of this week is a passage that has been an inspiration to me and to many churches throughout the ages, I think. Isaiah 54 says, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing, and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent. And let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. Now the theme of stretch forth is part of this command of God. First of all to sing expecting the blessing of God. Just out of faith. Just because you trust in the sovereignty of God. And then of course he gives us a responsibility to work. To work towards that end. And, and to enlarge the place of thy tent, and stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. That's talking about doing more. And this is something that God has expected from the beginning of mankind when he told man to be fruitful and multiply. This corresponds very, very well with the great commission that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the church in Matthew chapter 28, and verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came gave to the church that he established. The Lord Jesus Christ had, had brought together this congregation of disciples. And and uh, he had formed a local assembly, a church. And this church then, after he had given his life to redeem them, after he had fulfilled that purpose of a, a sacrifice for sin so that men could then be saved and men could then... Uh, enter into the presence of God then he ascended into heaven but before he ascended into heaven he gave us that responsibility imagine the responsibility for uh, for which he uh, gave his life he turned around and put that responsibility in our hands as churches and so he established the church he told them to preach the gospel in order to win people, in order to, that people would be transformed from darkness to light and from the power of Satan into God. He told them to baptize them, and by, baptize, by baptism, they become members of that local New Testament church, that body of Christ. And then he told them to teach them to observe all the things that he had commanded them. This is in order to fulfill a making disciples. He t- taught us to go into all nations and make disciples. And what was the method then that Jesus showed us in order to fulfill the Great Commission? The same thing that he did by starting a church, by planting churches. This is Jesus' method of fulfilling the Great Commission. S- starting new churches is our way of stretching forth. This is the purpose that we have as churches. You know, even the world understands a lot of, uh, about this. When Sam Walton began to, uh, to uh, expand the uh, business of Walmart, his idea was to uh, go into each state and... and and it wasn't long till he was thinking about each city of each state. And now they even have a goal of establishing a Walmart for a certain number of people in every community. We have Walmarts now, after many, many years, in Tuxla Gutierrez, Chiapas. Uh, so the, the, uh, the, the method that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to us in order to fulfill the Great Commission is through the establishing of local New Testament churches. Now, I have had the privilege of being one of those who grew up in that ministry. My father was a church planter. I was born about the time my dad started his first church in Norwalk, California, and uh, then when I was about nine years old, we moved up pretty close to your area in concord california and my father started a church there from the time i was a little child i would see my dad get up early in the morning to go to work my, my father actually worked worked at uh, general motors and later on with douglas aircraft and later on with lockheed aircraft and uh, in in many of the churches the four churches that my father established he worked a job he did his eight hours of work and then he came back and there in his uh, office in the garage, he would begin to make bulletins and materials at first with the old mimeograph machines and, and uh, didn't have computers back in those days. It was a lot of work. And then he would go out and knock doors and uh, I, I would see, uh, you know, my father come in then at nighttime after not only knocking doors but going and visiting people and then preaching on Sunday and doing all of the work of the ministry in, in uh, worship and edification. Of course, when we, went, when we would move to another town like we did from Norwalk to Concord, it was important to find a place because you have a church is as an assembly. It's a local assembly. And uh, so it was necessary to have a place to do that. I remember uh, meeting in a home for a while and then being able to rent the Farm Bureau building in Concord. And we would have to go on Saturday night and, uh, or early Sunday morning, many times to uh, clean all of the bottles and things away that the other people had, had uh, used in their parties and things like that, sweep, get everything ready, and have a place to gather people together to have a church. And uh, I would like to just throw in a word here. You know, it was a very special experience to me as a kid, working in, in building that church, working with, together with my father and my mother and my entire family and doing something in the church. And I trust that you'll make sure that the kids have a way of participating in your church in the establishing of churches. It's so important, train the kids in what Jesus Christ has taught them to do, and it'll be a normal way of life for them, as it was for myself. Now, after, after I grew up and uh, went to Bible college, was trained, did my internship in uh, San Jose, California, in a Spanish ministry, then I, my wife and I went to Mexico, where God had called us to be missionaries. My very first church was established in a city called San Juan de Rio uh, in the state of Queretaro, about 100 miles north of Mexico City. My wife was studying the language. I had already gone and studied the language when I was single, and so I was ready to get into the work of the ministry. And when she was studying the language, I would travel then the 30 minutes away to this at at the time, was a very small town called San Juan de Rio. Now San Juan de Rio is a huge industrial town. But I was able to plant a a church there during that year that my wife was studying the language. And the the way of doing it was door knocking, visiting, evangelizing, uh, witnessing to people everywhere that I could go, and then, of course, looking for a place. Where can we get together to form this local assembly, a church? And then the Lord uh, showed me his, his uh, wisdom in learning balance. I had to think about what uh, was within the balance of trusting God's power, but also of realizing the reality of, of uh, how big the town was. How, how advanced I was in my finances and experiences. And we, we have to have a balance in that. We should never think that all we can do is what we have in, on hand because we, we are uh, working in the power of God. So we have to have vision. We have to have trust. But on the other hand, if, if uh, we're just starting out a church, we're not really looking for a 2,000-seat auditorium. That's just really not the wisdom of God, not the reality. We have to have the balance, and I learned that uh, in starting that first church. Of course, I started that church with the idea that someday they would move on to a a larger place. But we started a little uh, construction and built a building there and continued to win souls and bring them together. And a church was established after I left Another missionary took over for a year that had been studying the language with my wife. And after, uh, after a time, a national pastor came, José Luis Patino, who is preaching there to this day. And that church has multiplied. That church has fulfilled the Great Commission by not only reaching San Juan de Rio... But they began to start other churches, to plant other churches. Now that church in San Juan has established at least six. I haven't talked recently to to, to Jose Luis. It's very probable that they have even started more. But they have started six more churches. And of course, the other way that they are reaching unto the uttermost parts of the earth is by sending missionaries who go into all of the countries, all the nations of the world. And what do they do? They go to start churches. That is the way that we fulfill the Great Commission. Reaching people, baptizing them into the church, teaching them to observe all the things that the Lord Jesus Christ has taught us. I learned the, the uh, fact of living by faith and support. And, and I uh, actually uh, had to uh, learn administration and what belonged to me and what uh, what, then other, what I could give and teaching others to give. I actually was a little weak in that, I admit. I uh, made a mistake of paying all the bills myself in that first church. And I tell you that that's a mistake because as a result of that, people expected that they didn't have to give. Even when I would teach them the God's plan for giving, they didn't feel the, the necessity of that for their church, for their body. There was somebody else paying the bills. I learned that. I didn't do that anymore in the next church uh, that I started I, I, I waited and let everyone work together and learn the principle of giving because that's the way God supports his church through ties through offerings acts of faith in doing our own part which is stretching forth but at the same time expecting the blessing of God which is sing O barren so we see the 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 uh, combination now my second church then was where God had called me to go and to work in the state of Chiapas in Tuxla Gutierrez, the, the capital city. This is now known as the mother church. Why? Because it has established so many other churches. Now there are churches, at least thirty, maybe maybe up to forty churches in the state of Chiapas that, uh, in one way or another, came out of that original church established in Tuxla Gutierrez. This is what I call the hub strategy. There are various strategies for the work of starting churches. The hub strategy is to start a strong central church that will be uh, the mother church. Now that's not, that does not have to do with authority. It's not an act of authority. While the missions that we are establishing are are still growing, and we're still reaching people. They are a part of that church. They're a mission of that church. But once they get to that point where they can support their own pastor, they can be uh, self-sufficient. They have the maturity to preach the gospel to fulfill. Uh, the, the Great Commission, winning souls, baptizing them, and teaching them to observe all things uh, whatsoever He has commanded. Then, then they fulfill what are the uh, the, the requirements uh, of a church, and so we have a, a special ceremony of organization of the church and give them that biblical recognition of a of a local New Testament church, autonomous and responsible before God as the body of Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. So uh, <clears throat> this is what is the hub strategy, a strong church that we continue to build, not only to train more leaders and, uh, and, and, and sometimes missions teams to do the work, but also to be an example. That helps the other churches that are growing to see a church that, that gives them a model and uh and and not not as an act of again of authority but as as a uh as an example that they can see that it can inspire them to continue to work now there are other strategies and you'll see missionaries some missionaries will go to a city and establish a church and then they'll prepare a national pastor for the work and after that church is well established they will move to another city and start another church i uh, I know several missionaries, and that is the strategy. Uh, others that go to countries like India, where there's a lot of laws against Americans, at least, uh, pastoring, and they make it very difficult. You can't legally be a, a missionary uh, openly as you can in so many countries in India. And so many of the missionaries in India, what they do is they go and they train other men. They, they win people. And they train them then to be the ones to go out and to win souls and eventually to be pastors. And they establish churches by way of of training leadership. Now that's obviously also a part of the hub strategy that that we use. Because in order to multiply, you have to have other preachers, other missionaries, other laborers for the Lord. So there are different uh, methods of missions one thing is important that I have learned we We get on the mission field and we have expectations, and we find out that the work of missions is not just a classroom type of study that we, we learned in college. We learn it's a whole lot. It, this is about life, this is about uh, challenges. this is about lessons learned. This is about many struggles and and so we came to the point where we realized that we would never fulfill our expectations. And so now what we do is we use the word maximize. And we have three things that we try to maximize in the ministry of the church and the missions, every ministry, we call it maximizing the act, maximizing the contact, and maximizing the impact. These three things. And maximizing the act means the act of evangelizing, the act of preaching the gospel. How do we maximize the act of of preaching the gospel, of witnessing to others? By getting more people involved. The more people we can get involved, the more we maximize. We'll never get everyone involved. Uh, Even the Lord Jesus Christ uh, had one that betrayed him. And uh, there were, at the beginning, many that doubted. And we we see that in reality of life in churches. Unfortunately, this is not any kind of an excuse, but there are those who just do not come to that point of giving their heart, giving their life, even though they are children of God, they, they don't make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. I hope that you here that are listening to this message would let the lord touch your heart and you would join in with those who are part of that process of maximizing the act and so every week we think could could we encourage one more person to participate is there anybody else? Uh, those of us who are reaching out and, and witnessing for Christ, would there be another member that we could we could encourage to, to come with us and that way we maximize? We, we don't expect to have 100% participation because uh, when you get illusions and uh, expectations that are not fulfilled, you can more think about, who's not doing the job than who is doing the job and that gets discouraging it can cause a negative attitude and we want to avoid that so we concentrate on the ones who are serving the ones who are obeying the command of God to to be a light to this world and to preach the gospel and we try to get more and that is maximizing the act and of course then we have to maximize secondly the contact and maximize the contact means that group that is going to witness in any given week how many people can we reach. And of course, if we make one visit during the week, we have, we have gone and we have witnessed to someone. But is, would there be an opportunity to witness to two? Would there be an opportunity to witness to three? Each person. And so we think about strategies. We think about uh, ways of reaching more people. There was a time when I was uh, training soul winners in a program similar to, uh, patterned after evangelism explosion, which was a great blessing uh, to our church. I would train two, then after time they would train two, and then after time they would train two, and the number of soul winners would multiply. There was a time when we had maybe 40 soul winners going out each week. And of those 40, we would divide into groups of three because we were in training also. And uh, so we would have about 12, 13 groups. And of those 12 and 13 groups, several of them would find that their contact was not home uh, or, or there was some reason why they didn't get the opportunity to witness. So, so we'll say out of the twelve groups, that maybe, uh, maybe nine would find the people at home, and uh, and then of course there were always some situations that would come up. Somebody would come visiting, or they would be leaving, or something, and uh, so maybe we would get to actually sit down and witness to seven people and give them the gospel. And of those seven people, nearly every week we had someone saved. But then I f- uh, fa- uh, learned of the, an idea of instead of, of using these groups in, in the church, the, the ones who would go out and witnessing, instead of that, I, I uh, one year formed groups out of all the members of the church who would meet in their home and invite their friends and their family and contacts that they made through the week. They would invite them into their home on Saturday to have tacos or, or, or you know, and have a time of fellowship together. And during that time of fellowship, they would present a lesson of the gospel. And I came up with 25 different lessons uh, 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 from a different point of view, but always focusing on salvation and they didn't actually give an invitation there, but that they would give the gospel and they would talk about the, the excitement of, of the church. And, and many people that would not come directly to church would go to their home. And uh, a few weeks later, they would, ex- they would decide that they knew the people, they kind of broke, break the ice, and they would come. And our church actually doubled in size in, in two years using this method of Saturday uh, family meetings. And so we're always thinking, now I have to tell you that we got to the point where they uh, had witnessed to everyone that they knew, they had invited everyone that they knew and others, and it began to stagnate. They, They were not having visitors coming in, and at that point, we were not maximizing the contact anymore. And so we had to make other changes. We're always thinking, how can we reach out to more people, maximize the act by including more people in the work, maximize the contact by having a way of reaching the most people possible during that time, and then the last one is maximizing the impact. And Maximizing the impact has to do with our own personal training and the materials that we use. We're always uh, trying to learn ways to, to learn the grace of God in our speaking, learn the wisdom of God in discernment, And we have training classes in order to help the people to practice and to gain that grace and to gain that wisdom of getting into the homes, of presenting the gospel, Uh, knowing how to dress, how to talk, things to avoid. And uh, that, that maximizes the impact by by increasing our ability to reach the hearts of others and, of course, looking for the best materials within the, uh, the provision that God gives. So little missions. They may have just very, very simple tracts or flyers. And other churches that are large begin then to be able to use many other means of, of preaching the gospel. But this is a very important part. But in, in, uh, in addition to that, we, of course, had to have a building a place for us to assemble together. A church is, a, is an assembly, a congregation. And what we would do was uh, try to uh, find a place where we would have room to expand, even though we were a small church, but enough property for, for expansion because we have to continue that vision. That is stretching forth. Your, your theme is the theme that God gives us. Stretch forth. We're all, God is always looking for more. His compassion is for the multitudes. But on the other hand, we also had to be wise in knowing what size uh, a building we would need. And so we would start a building that we could use as an auditorium, but that later on could be used as a Sunday school unit or some other uh, thing. The, the original auditorium that we have in Tuxla Gutierrez is now uh, a couple of large bathrooms, two offices, and the nursery and that used to be our auditorium we got up to over 200 people in that little building before we built the next uh size building uh it, it, this is a reason why missionaries are always uh, concerned about building a mission again with balance we, we can't just tell the people you're on your own when many people as in mexico you know, they, they may earn, I think right now I'm paying the common laborers about 200 pesos a day. So we're talking about a little less than $10 a day. Can you live on that here in, in your state? Uh, probably not. How much do they give? Well, it's a whole lot less, their tithe, than the churches here in the United States are going to be able to give. And so, we're not going to tell them you're on your own, uh, you, you've got to do it all yourself. We do want to help them. We, we, uh, we use the, the compassion and the supply and the need, as even Paul taught the Corinthians in regards to the, to the uh, saints at Jerusalem. But on the other hand, we don't want to do th- things the way that they can sit back and, and even though they learn about giving, they don't have to give. Uh, this is such something that's very, very important in order to, to all have a part in the building of the, the place that is going to be called the house of God. Of course, then we begin to mature the people, to teach them to observe all things, to make them disciples. And this includes some of them are going to be deacons. Some of them are going to be called to preach, and we're going to have to train Preachers, we're going to have to train leaders of ministries, and then of course to stretch out, we're going to have to be thinking of the next place, the next place to to start a church, the next country to send a missionary, and we we teach our people even from the smallest missions to begin to give by faith, even to support missionaries because this is the plan that God gave us and the way that we can see the hand of God, in His provision. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is that this is not just a, uh, a set strategy where you go and you do certain things and it all works. It's not really the way life is, is, and the ministry is not either. God tells us that he has to mold us. God has to work in our hearts, and some of the trials that missionaries go through or church planning pastors or church members go through. Some of those trials are uh, a great part of what their ministry is going to be. When, when Paul was questioned by some people in uh, Corinth about his credentials of being an apostle, you remember how he responded there in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, talking about how many times he was stoned. How many times he was shipwrecked. The dangers. The dangers of thieves. The, the, the dangers in the, in the travels. The shipwrecks that he had suffered. The beatings that he had suffered. And, and uh, be, uh, being humiliated uh, you know, by having to, to escape from Damascus in a, in a basket. The, the way that God made Paul to be the man that he became was through trials and tribulations. And this is a thing that God is going to work. I remember one of my teachers and pastors in time past telling me emphatically along with the other students, God is not looking for men with better methods. God is looking for better men. Now, there are good methods and strategies. We have to learn that as long as it is within the will of God. We never want to get out of the will of God and the methods that we... We think about, but God is not looking for men with better methods. God is looking for better men. How is God able to mold us and to make us to be stronger in our faith, more humble before the people, love people as we never loved them before? He normally has to do that by trials. I was no exception. My first year in Tuxla Gutierrez, I I spent most of the time sick. And not just the parasites that you get a lot of time from water and, and, uh, and, and uh, foods. And a lot of the tropical diseases. I caught the dengue from the mosquitoes. And the dengue fever killed 200 people that, uh, that year that I got. And I got it twice. You don't get an immunity to dengue fever. I was devastated in my health. I was down. And then after, uh, after two weeks of the dengue, I was just barely feeling better when I got it again. And I went back down. I was down to 120 pounds. One preacher said I looked like a walking skeleton when I came back out on my first term there. And uh, it was actually close to death, as many people did. Right after I finished, I was just getting better from the dengue fever, and I got typhoid fever. And I'm thinking, God, you called me to be here to win souls, and I'm just stuck in bed. I can't move anywhere. I can't do anything. Not only that, God allowed me to experience the the uh, the feeling of rejection. I got a letter from a pastor. I may have told you this in some time before. A letter from a supporting pastor, and it was exciting to get a letter. That was the only communication we had back then. And I opened this. I'm laying in bed, uh, you know, very very sick. And this was encouraging. I get a letter from a, a, a supporting pastor. But I open it up and it's just a torn piece of paper. It's not even a full sheet of paper. And it has a note scribbled on it. It says, Dear Brother Morris, we don't appreciate your ministry at all. Our missionary in Korea won more souls last month than you've won all year. So we're dropping your support. <laughs> now I can laugh about that now. I can, let me tell you, I wasn't laughing about it in that moment. And uh, you, you sometimes experience this, the, the, the rejection as you're trying to serve the Lord, but God allows this to happen. It happened to Jesus Christ himself. And we have to learn to live like him. Uh, there, there is the culture rejection. I remember a time that I was driving to a mission where we had to walk for two hours out into the uh, to the hills so I could preach. And there was a stream there that I would baptize the converts. And on the way, one of the men of the church that, that was working with us, he just told me flat out, he said, uh, Brother Morris, you and I are never going to be close friends because uh, you as an American are very cold and calculated. Well, that that was probably true in his eyes because we don't have some of the uh, cultural traditions of the expression of affection that they have in Mexico. And I hadn't learned that yet. I probably have now uh, because I have lived there now 42 years and, and have become a more of a part of the culture. But I, I broke down in tears at, at the thought that I would never be able to relate to my people because of a cultural difference. The re- the, that sense of re- rejection, loss of support. I had a lot of churches in, uh, in the Northwest that were small churches and others in California and other places. And, and uh, 21 churches in my first four-year term dropped my support while we were on the field. One after another. 21 churches that we were counting on to be able to live, to be able to work, dropped our support. And I had to learn that God is the provider. And God had to teach me that. I'm not depending uh, directly on even the supporting churches. They are going to be used by God because God is the one who calls and God is the one who will provide. And I learned that God can. That God did supply. I mean, there was times that we had to sell things in our house to make ends meet in those first years. God allowed that to happen as an act of being willing to sacrifice, but also as an act of being willing to stay and depend on God. And God allowed us to stay. So this is so much important. The greatest trial was betrayal. And the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed by one of his own. I worked with a man for four years. And uh, little by little began to sense that something just wasn't right in his attitude to the Lord. And I, but I still uh, gave him the benefit of the doubt. He was my friend. I thought he was my co-laborer. And in the end, this man turned out to be one of the most devious wolves that I've ever met in my life. I was shocked. But I had to learn that Jesus said that there would be uh, wolves uh, dressed like sheep and, uh, and that we will face those kind of things. And I lost everything that I had built. All the buildings property, uh, ex- except our school property, the, the church buildings property, I lost due to a to, uh, man who could bribe officials, a man who could falsify signatures and things like this. And it, it, was, a, it was a traumatic experience. And, and I learned some of the lessons that were necessary to be able to to continue to preach the gospel and start these churches. I learned the, the, the patience of going through a time when it looked like it was going to be solved. Everything was working out. The hope and then everything coming down in this despair. And my hope was sometimes in the circumstances or the arrangements or the agreements instead of in God. God. And when I had lost everything and I was in a situation of despairing, and not, uh, like Asaph, when he went, why do the wicked prosper? And God touched my heart with that psalm one time and revealed to me that my excitement, my joy, was in the gift that he had given me, the Bible college building, the church building, the people that I had. I was a young preacher, and I was overwhelmed with the joy of seeing the fruit And God took it all away. Because I learned that God does not want me to love the gift more than the giver. And God revealed to me that that was what was happening. Because when I lost all the gifts, I was was, uh, torn apart. I was despairing. I, I felt so down and rejected. It didn't seem worth it. God hadn't changed. God was still with me. He was still by my side. He still loved me. He still was leading the way, and he wanted me to love him, not what he gives me. Now, we love God's work, and we love God's people, but never to the point where we love the gift more than the giver. This is So, so you see, there's so many lessons that we have to learn as we press toward the mark of, of the uh, The the, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Learn these lessons. And in due time, he says there in in Isaiah 54, saying, O barren, there will be fruit. In the New Testament, he says, don't be weary in well-doing, because in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. It's the same thing. That is a promise by the sovereignty of God. He will give us fruit if we will be faithful not be weary we'll continue on doing the plan that god has multiplying churches training labor so that they will multiply and and start strong churches now we have strong churches all over the state of chiapas along with many of the smaller missions and uh, now i can come here to the united states with no worry about how the work is going there because there are so many leaders and preachers and, and uh, a system uh, that is working, and, and I, I get the news now, they probably need my direction and counsel, I hope so still, but the truth is that if God were to take me home tomorrow, there are leaders there, preachers that would continue the work of God, and that, that is his plan have more laborers, more pastors. Our young man who's leading the singing has been called to be a missionary to Jamaica. I'm going to hate to lose him one of these days, but on the other hand, it's going to be a joy to see how the work of God continues to be fulfilled, sending even missionaries to start new churches. So stretch forth. Stretch forth is the mentality that we have, an effort of looking for more. This is what God commands of us. In that passage, he said, spare not. That means be diligent. Let's not do this half-hearted. Let's do our very best. And, of course, the very beginning of that chapter said, sing, O barren, the promise that there will be fruit. And so I would encourage you in, in this meeting today to be faithful in being a part of your church. Be one of those who are part of maximizing the act. Think about how to maximize the, the uh, contact. Here in your city, in the cities around, and Jesus said unto the uttermost parts of the earth by sending your missionaries. And then uh, maximize the impact by uh, learning constantly the grace of God, the wisdom of God, so that we can touch hearts in in a greater way than ever before. God has commanded us, why? Because God loved this world so much that he gave his only son to die for them, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why do we go to the mission field? Because Jesus said, as he was sent by God because of his love for this world, now he has sent us. And we go the same way that Jesus came to this world. And so I encourage you to be a missionary where you live. And to be one of those who has the vision of stretching forth. And seeing that the work of missions. And the work of evangelism. And the work of planting churches. God's plan. The plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. Planting churches. In all nations. Around where you are and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, if we would, and pray with me that God would lead us, give us the wisdom and the strength, and with every head bowed and every eye closed, I first of all would like to say that there may be someone here who is not sure that if you were to die today that you would go to heaven. You don't have in your memory a moment that you were born again, born of the Spirit. That A moment in your life when you realized that you were a lost sinner. You had sinned against God and that your sin condemned you to an eternity without God. But then you re- understood the, the uh, words of the gospel. This gospel that, that Jesus wants to be preached in all nations. You understood that Jesus died for you in your place. So that you would not have to pay the punishment for your sin. Jesus took your place. And he paid the punishment for every sin in your life. From the time you were born to the time you die. So that you could be free. You could be saved from the condemnation. Not only that. But born again. In the righteousness of Christ. Become acceptable to God. And to be born as one of God's son. If you don't remember a time in your life that you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you received Christ by faith as your Savior, and God made you a child of God, then you're not going to have that security, that, that uh, assurance that the day you die, you will, you will uh, enter the presence of God. And God wants you to have that assurance. The whole reason of starting churches, what I preach tonight, the whole reason of training laborers and pastors, of sending missionaries, is for people like you that God loves. And God wants to reach. And if there is anyone here tonight or this morning who has not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, then I would encourage you today respond to the invitation of god respond to the invitation in this church and trust in jesus christ as your savior our father we thank you so much for this church and we thank you and and praise you for the stories that that can be told of all of the lives of people in this church the way that you brought them to christ the way that you reached them through the gospel and the ways that you have molded them and worked in their lives and the ways that you have built this church. Father, I pray that you would continue that work until until our time ends, either by death or by the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word and the encouragement that you give us, promising us that we can sing even now because in due time, you have promised that we will reap if we faint not. Thank you. Father, but also we recognize before you that you have told us to stretch forth. You've told us to go into all nations, to make disciples, to do the work. And Father, we ask for your grace and we dedicate ourselves to you again to this great job that you've had because we know that your love has never changed. And we desire also that there would be joy in your heart and joy in heaven when sinners repent. And then joy when churches are established. The body of Christ that will continue to multiply the work of the gospel into all nations of the world. What a glorious plan, sometimes hard to understand. But we trust you, God. Just want you to work in every one of our hearts so that we can all have a part and all have a blessing and all have our joy fulfilled and all have the satisfaction of knowing that your joy is is fulfilled. We ask you this in Jesus Christ, in his name, amen. Thank you, and God bless you.